for me, you know, I'm dealing with all these medical issues and I move back to Texas, go to UTA and finish up my accounting degree and start working for Clifton Larson Allen, which was SPF at that time. Mm -hmm. Rick Baumeister, you know him and um, that whole group. So I was working in accounting. But during that entire time, I was still dealing with all my medical issues. At that point, the VA and and I, they don't do this anymore, but they would auto ship uh, medications. And so at one point I had, you know, almost 500 pills of hydrocodone sitting in my house because, you know, I've, I've got all this medication, but I'm not wanting to because when you're on so many different medications, you're like a walking zombie. I was highly functional still. I was doing, doing all my work, but I was walking zombie. And so it got to the point where I was looking in the mirror and I was like, you know, this is not who I want to be. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. The podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. And for my fellow Marines like I got here today, that's experience with an ED. Not just experience, experience with an ED. Myexperiencerealtor.com. You can click on this episode, other episodes to find more information on our guests, what this particular show was about. This episode was about. You can also download this episode from all the different platforms to include YouTube. If you want to see my, as my friend Craig Fishing Guide called my friend here today, looking like Vladimir Putin out there on the frozen lake. We'll come and talk about that because it is a little bit funny. He's not Vladimir Putin. So yeah, go there, click on that and uh, find more. And if you like this show and you think somebody else get value, forward the show to him. Just send it to him. Say, hey, download the show and watch this show. But we're not here to talk about real estate today. Even though if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, go to our website, click Find a Trusted Professional. We're here to welcome my friend, Andrew Cagle, fellow Marine. What's up, Devil Dog? How are you, Jeremy? Man, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm, where are we? We're at, uh, not quite the 48-hour mark, 36 hours yep. for recovery. Yep. Yeah, we had it's a little a, event on Saturday, didn't we? Yeah, we did. It's been... Uh... It's been a past few days have been a little bit a little bit of recovery, a little rest recuperation. Hydration. February has not worked out well for you because you've been with me twice now in February. Yes. And you pretty much only drink once a year and I have completely train wrecked that for you. My my liver is trying to catch up. Right now, so. <laughs> well, like we like all, all these that we start off with, as my father in law says, I must do a joke. So I uh, so I got a I got a great joke. Great joke. They're not great jokes. You ready for this one? Yes, I am. So singing in the shower is fun. Until you get soap in your mouth, then it's a soap opera. <laughs> it's a bad dad joke. That is a no. There's nothing good. Although you know, it was really funny. Is Laura and I? So for the audience, uh, uh, my good friend Andy Andrew here, Kegel. I just call him Kegel. We always call each other by our last names. The only time we use our first names is if we want something or we're getting ready to do something bad to him. So Kegel came up to see me in Colorado a couple of weeks ago, and we just mice fish in, had some fun. And I was cracking up the whole weekend because I forgot. So Kegel has a very dry, sarcastic personality. And he yeah. was just dropping one-liners all weekend, especially when we were out ice fishing with Craig. And I was just cracking up, right? Now, 
for the audience, you might think that ice fishing is like you're out there shivering in cold. So we layered up, and then we get out there, and our fishing guy, Craig, you know, he's got the little auger that drills the holes, and we're out there fishing. But, man, when that sun comes out, it gets hot. Like, I'm down to a T-shirt. Well, Kegel here, who still works out, you know, I've gone from swift, silent, and deadly to slow, fat, and armless. He's gone from swift, silent, and deadly to trying to be GQ's uh, centerfold magazine cover, right? And and so he didn't have a short sleeve shirt on, so he just takes his shirt off, right? And here he is, you know, he's like me in his 40s and, and, and just walking around looking like he's been working out. So we were going from one lake walking over to the other lake, and, and here comes Cagle, and, and Craig yells out. He was like, damn it, we got Vladimir Putin out here fishing with us? And then what was funny is a week later, that's when Russia invaded Ukraine, and there was a little, because we took a picture of, of Cagle shirtless out there on the ice fishing, and we dropped it in the thread saying, look at that. Putin had such a good time ice fishing that he invaded Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Don't know how much I want to be associated with Vladimir Putin, but it was it was definitely a lot warmer than I was expecting. So I, <laughs> I get up to Colorado thinking, oh, it's going to be, you know, 20 degrees and it's going to be cold. And then didn't bring any short sleeve shirts or anything. And so we get to uh, the lake where we were ice fishing and it gets pretty warm. And so I'm like taking off layers and... Jeremy's got a short sleeve t-shirt and I'm like, I don't have any short sleeves and it's getting way too hot. So I was like, well, I'll just take my shirt off, get a little yeah. suntan at the same time. And it was a good time though. So Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for showing off. I appreciated it. <laughs> you know, you show up like you're working out and uh, I've got body by dad, right? Oh, I, I got to motivate you, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Jamie Peace has been trying to motivate me for many years. Although I did fit back into my tux for this last weekend's event. So let's talk so about that. Let's, let's segue over and talk about that. So uh, Cowtown Wars. So Cagle and I met through Cowtown Warriors, also a Marine, was over there in the special operations community, Marsaw, ran schoolhouse, stuff like that. We'll come back, talk about his journey, get to all that. So we, we were introduced by Vanway. And so Andy Vanway introduced us. You were working at a nonprofit. I was I working at Clifton Larson Allen, which yeah, is a yeah. CPA firm. So I was doing nonprofit audit. At the nonprofit time. audit. That's right. And then, uh, like everyone, you got on an elevator with me, which meant you were either going to give me money and or free time to come volunteer on Cowtown Warriors. And so that's how Cagle and I got to know each other, know each other really well and helped us. I mean, the, the organization is where it's at today because you came in and we're like, no, this is how we do this to make this better. So Cowtown Warriors is really kind of a startup, right? An idea that I got that we started it and we were doing it good, but it could always be done better. And that level of accounting acumen that you were able to bring in made that even better because it's not, I mean, it's one thing to be able to look at your donors and say hundred percent of your money is absolutely going straight to the mission. None of it goes out, but there was still a better way to account for the money that was going out to these recipients, how it was categorized, and then getting our official 501c3 because we were we were operating as a DBA off of Metroplex Marines' right, right. 501c3. So we made that transition. And then you gave me a lot of guidance on how our board had just gotten big. So in order for us to function on a volunteer basis, our board at one time was like 18 Marines. Se- 17 Marines. On the 17 board. Marines, which is way too much because it was like Richard Wagner said, we were more like a drinking club with a charity problem. And uh, so we were, it just wasn't as efficient. We were still accomplished mission doing stuff, 
But so we were able to downsize the board to seven board members. And you were like, hey, here's what we need to do. We need to get this thing more efficient, decision-making, make it faster, be able to get these recipients faster, you know, get them through the pipeline faster. And, 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 and you gave me just such great sound advice that you were like, hey, but we're going to need to shrink the board. And one of the things you, you'd even said, you go, look, you, you've, you've been kind of tired for a while and ready to roll off of this thing. He goes, but I think it would be a good stand in leadership for the people that might be resistant to leaving. Right. If they say, hey, listen, for the greater cause, I'm leaving. Who else is going to go with me so that way we can have the right seven people run this? Right. And, you know, so when, when I first came on the board, um, Metroflex Marines was kind of the, the parent organization. And, you know, I saw that you had wanted to kind of branch out and do your own thing with your with your nonprofit and you had a, a larger vision so I said well our nonprofit yes our nonprofit. <laughs> our nonprofit yes so I was like well you know how about we put in the paperwork for the 501c3 um, and you know once we get that approved with the IRS then we can you know really kind of grow this organization and you know help the vets that we were wanting to help and you know it's a long process and it's, nothing's ever easy with the government. Um, you know, the IRS wants all this information from you. And so um, we went through that process. And as we did, the board grew. You know, as, as people heard about Caltown or attended the Caltown Warrior Ball, they're like, oh, I want to be part of this organization. How can I help? And it got to the point where we were, you know, we're, we're a drinking club with the charity problem. And, you know, everybody wants to get involved. But there were kind of the, the plank holders that said, hey, you know, we've been doing this for five, six, seven years. I was the treasurer for five years. And I was like, it's, it's about time for us to, to roll off and let some, some new blood in. And it's, sometimes it's tough because you want to be part of the organization. Uh, in fact, over the weekend, I was talking to a couple of the guys, and they're like, are you going to come back on the board? I was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I, I'm, I miss it, but it's like, you know, when, when you are on the board of a nonprofit organization, for me, my take is that you always, you have to have a purpose on that board. You know, sometimes people like to be on, you know, organizational boards just because they want that, you know, kind of the, the fame and the prestige of being a board member. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, you know, what, what is your purpose on this board? You know, and several, you know, several times, you know, we had discussions about, okay, you know, is it time for us to roll off and allow new people to be on the board? There's a lot of times when, you know, th things would get bogged down. You know, a lot of these board meetings would kind of run way over <laughs> <laughs> three hours later, and we still haven't made decisions. And so um, I think it, for me, it was, you know, kind of, it, it actually worked out very well because I was able to transition into jobs that I'm doing now. And I was just getting, you know, way over tasked with things. And so I said, you know, I think it's time for me to roll off the board. Let's find someone else to come in and be the treasurer. And at that time, that was a perfect time for you to roll off the board as well. And, you know, if you're a busy man. You've got a lot of stuff that was going on. So yeah. and, and for the audiences, look, we weren't trying to run from something. It was right. very, this was very, very hard decisions for me and Andy and, and, and several of these other folks out there. But, you know, when we built Caltown Warriors, Right. I mean, you came in during still the foundation building stages. Right. Is it took a lot of energy. Right. Is it because we did. We have great board members. But like any board, 20 percent of your board members are doing 80 percent of the work, like anything, 80-20 rule. 
and it was just it was it was time to be ready to 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 well a couple of things is we were exhausted by then right i mean again nobody's getting paid salaries nobody gets compensated right this is all 100% volunteer we were given a lot of time you know, to do all this because we were doing all the vetting. This was before having an executive director that is a paid position that we have a donor that pays for him. So that doesn't interfere with any of the 100% of the donations coming in to go straight to the mission. We have a donor that writes his salary check every year, and we have a donor that writes the check that has the annual event. So that way, 100% of the money comes in, goes straight to the cause, and we have very lean operating costs. You were really good at keeping us lean on that. Like, hey, this stuff is unnecessary. We don't need this. This is what we need to do, blah, 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 blah. And so you were not only instrumental in helping me get this thing to the point where we could, but it was a hard decision because, you know, you don't want to leave something that you've built. But we also knew, and you were really good at helping me through this. You said, look, man, it's time for us old guys to get out of the way for this young blood to come in here and, and take it to the next level. And by looking at this last Saturday's performance, it was. I thought the transitions were much smoother. I thought that the, it just it just was smoother the whole way. I well, thought like the the raffle ticket oh. this year, it's so much easier. We were um, done with the raffle in five right, minutes, exactly. And that and usually takes an hour. We went from you know in the beginning where you know we're actually little raffle tickets, the actual tickets, and accepting cash for raffle tickets and, you know, had the little credit card machines with the, the Boy Scouts, which unfortunately they weren't able to be there this year. Having gone from that to where, hey, everything's all pre-set up, your credit card information's all in there, and all you have to do is decide how many raffle tickets you want to purchase and to which item they go to. And so by using the technology, you know, that, that I think that was Bazon's kind of baby. Yeah. Um, when he got that in, and that made it so much smoother for that. For that, poor Bazon, poor Bazon. He and, got stuck uh, in my old job. He, yeah, he got stuck in your old job, and now he's getting ready to get stuck in the new job. Yeah. Uh, is so so. What 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 Kegel's referring to is Bazon Morris, uh, Naval Academy artillery officer. Good good guy. We suckered him into coming on the board. So the whole board is made up of Marines, and so uh, the only time the board has not had. A Marine was David Goodrow, who was an Army vet, who helped me get this thing started. Me, James Corr, Terry Ryan, and him got this thing started. They really bailed me out because this thing was falling apart before we had our first event, and they jumped in and really helped out. And uh, so we got all these Marines, and then Bazon did such a great job at the Treasury this year that at the after party down in the Davey O'Brien room, we said, you know what, James, you're coming up on the end of your two-year tour as president. I think it's time that we get a new one. How about Bazon? Everybody's like, yeah, how about Bazon? And Bazon just looks at me. So here's the funniest part, too, is... So I was really honored at this event. And, and it's funny, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because of Bazon. It's uh, the guys that asked me said, hey, listen, we want you to get up and do the ask. And they were like, man, there's just something about when you get up on stage, you know how to get people to empty their pockets. And, uh, and I said, cool, what do you need me to say? What do you need me to do? They go, no, just do your thing. You know that you usually do, but you're going to know your cue. And, uh, and I was, y'all got me. Y'all got me good this year. And... Uh, um, is as is 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 anybody that knows me, you know, especially like Kegel and whatnot, is I'm 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 quiet about a lot of things. Not not because I'm not proud. I'm very proud of everything that I've done. I'm just there's just certain aspects 
of things that I'm quiet about, you know, some of the things I did into PD, you know, what I did in Marine Corps is very, I just was outspoken, just never felt I needed to. And it's just never what it is. So I like my shadow boxes are mounted in my closet, in my wall, you know, in my closet, right? I just it's don't part keep of who things. you are, but it's not who you are. Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, in one of my moves a number of years ago, I think it was uh, when we moved to Fox Hollow in 2013, is I had this big chest that had all my Marine Corps memorabilia. And as these guys joke, as I was in when, you know, Muse were still on pirate ships, you know, and we were still using musket loaders. So we didn't have digital stuff. So all my photographs were, you know, actual photographs, like my T-shirts and certificates and stuff like that from schools that I've been to, my NCO sword. Right. Right. My paddle that I got when I left my unit, you know, there's, there's some things that are irreplaceable. Sure. You could go buy another NCO sword, but it's not going to be the same one that you carry when you're in. Well, it came up missing in a move. And what it was is we were moving into a house that was being renovated. We were going to live upstairs while the downstairs was being done. So stuff went to storage. And when we went and got it from storage, moved it in when the house was done. My, my, my assumption is I think one of the, one of the uh, movers stole it is what I think because it just doesn't come up missing. Very likely. So, and it, it, you know, and, and missing that NCO sword and some of that stuff, some of that memorabilia that still I wouldn't put up on a wall or anything, but it was still important stuff to me, you know, and it really was just kind of, you know, it kind of, you know, it just always kind of sat on my mind for almost the last 10 years. Like, man, it's just stuff that's irreplaceable. And so at the event, they said, hey, we got something for you. And they called me up and they had handcrafted a paddle with Cowtown Warrior stuff. So not the same one as I got from my unit, but it was just enough of like, this meant a lot to me. I was speechless. Sure. How often is Jeremy Spann speechless, especially in front of a microphone? Not very often. <laughs> so I was like, what? I, I, and it had the very first coin, the very first right, event first to the current yep. coin, you know, eight years, eight, or, or eight events of raising over $2 million and helping hundreds and hundreds of vets that it just, it stopped me in my track. Matter of fact, this is how funny it was. So then I, I was like, I, I, I was, I had practiced with Laura that when I got up to do the ask, it was going to be, everything was going to be done in under five minutes. I rehearsed, 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 because everybody says I talk too damn much. But it threw me off so much that I, I, I forgot what I was going to say. But the one thing that popped in my mind was I was like, I'm not walking off this stage till I get a hundred grand. And we got there. We got there. Matter of fact, one of Ricky Salas, my buddy, I went in the Marines with. It's it funny. It was his first event. He goes, "Dude, you're my wife's hero." She goes, "You raised a hundred grand in two minutes, right?" <laughs> o- only Span can do that. But you know. on the back of the paddle, there was all these uh, signatures and just like, "Hey, thanks for getting me a part of this. Thanks for that." But Payson said, "Hey, thanks for sucker me into coming to do this. Fuck you, oh, <laughs> Semper so Fidelis." Based on Morris, <laughs> I just, but it was just, but it was just kind of, it really meant a lot to me. But then I was sitting there looking at the audience, and then and I was sitting there even looking. At, yeah, I was, I was like, dude, look at. We went and found the right people. We did the right thing, getting out of the way. Right. We got out. We got out of our own way, so that way this thing could be bigger and better. And I think the rough numbers are right now is we raised over four hundred thousand dollars on on Saturday. We're a hundred percent of that amazing. money yeah. is going to wounded, ill, and injured veterans. Local money raised for local wounded vets. So did you meet Bazon in the elevator? I did meet Bazon in the elevator. Actually, <laughs> it right. was, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who introduced me and said, come over. And he that one was another elevator instance. We're riding the elevator on the way up. And he's looking, you know, because on the elevator, Fort Worth Club, it has, you know, today's schedules of events. 
And he's over there looking. I said, well, what are you looking for? And he goes, well, I'm looking for a uh, Cowtown Warriors board meeting. I'm supposed to show up today. And I was like, is that a fact? What's your name, Marine? <laughs> I, remember, I remember that meeting. <laughs> and so. he even said, well, Faison can't help himself. He was like, you know what, man? I'm a big believer and, you know, you need to pay your dues. What do I need to do to pay my dues? And me, Carr, and Peterson looked over at him and said, well, you know, to truly pay your dues means to run the event. And he jumped all over it, and he's done an incredible job. He then sure then uh, taking over Treasury, re- doing an incredible job, which here's actually, this is another another reason, uh, and I really want to get to this because this is going to help us start on your journey to where you've gotten, is you really helped me out because when you took over Treasury, you go, hey, Span, there's good news and there's bad news. And he goes, the good news is you absolutely have every penny in and every penny out absolutely accounted for from the day you started this thing. Your and spreadsheets I said, are phenomenal, yeah. by the way. Yeah, and you go, the bad news is, what the hell is all this stuff? And I was just like, I don't know, man, you're the accountant. How do we categorize it? But it was funny is watching how you morphed that into, because I'd done accounting in my MBA and whatnot, but it helped me understand the dynamics of accounting even more so to how I apply that to today especially in my fund. Well, right? you know, and, and a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, debits and credits. It's, that's accounting. It's simple. But then when you get into nonprofit accounting and you're dealing with funds and you have, you know, um, your revenues from your donations, but then you also have revenues from raffle tickets and how much of that is deductible and how much is not. So it, it gets very complicated very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, well, this is all donation money. And it's like, well, actually, that's, you know, when you start doing the tax returns, there's a lot of different buckets things have to go into. And so I think that was where I was able to take my expertise and say, hey, hey, guys, we need to do this. And we need to make sure that we account for certain things um, with the ball um, and the money in the funds raised from the ball. Um, in certain ways. And so, and that's what we were, we were able to do that. And we are continuing to do that. And, you know, when I rolled off, I told, uh, Bazon, I was like, Hey man, my, my phone is always on. And if you have any questions, let me know. I'll be happy to help you, you know, and, you know, whether it's compliance questions or if it's questions about money or how do we account for this or, you know, what does the what do the CPAs whenever we you know, send our information to to the CPAs to do the tax return? What information do we need to give them to make it a seamless process? You know that was one of the things that was really special about Caltown Warriors Board too is you know we make jokes about you know Marines can't read and write or count or anything else like that, but here's the reality of it: we had a CPA, we had a lawyer, we had several MBAs. We had wealth managers. We just really had some good, successful talent that had real-world experience post-Marine Corps time that were able to get in here and bring that business acumen to be able to, to, to get it where it was. And that's really one of the magical things about Cowtown Warriors. was like, this isn't just a, a bunch of gaggle of whoever's, you know, that got together to try to do something. We really had some sophisticated talent on there that made it special. Well, speaking of talent, because, I mean, they just handed this stuff to you, all this talent you have and all the success overnight, right? You got there with no road rash to get where you're at, right? I've got quite a bit of road rash. <laughs> well, let's start with that. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in the Woodlands, um, in a little bit north of Houston. Um, lived there for 18 years, um, back when it was 
the woodlands, it was very, very small. And now I think there's what, close to 300,000 people that live in the woodlands. Yeah. Um, you know, not what it is today. In fact, uh, on Friday night, we actually drove down to Galveston to uh, drop some friends off. They're going out on a uh, cruise out of, out of the port. And so dropped them off and then drove back up on Saturday through the woodlands and just seeing how how much that area has grown is, is amazing. But uh, so I went there, went to high school um, in the woodlands and then uh, left and went to Baylor University. And I was there 99 and 2000. Um, left Baylor, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. I'd gone to school for international business and so I, I left Baylor and uh, went and lived with my brother up in Maryland. I was going to school up there, and then 9-11 happened. And it's funny because when 9-11 happened, um, I was living with some buddies of mine at that point, and they were all former Army MPs. And you know they'd always give me crap, and I was the only one who wasn't in the service then. And we actually, when 9-11 happened that morning, uh, I remember that I was in the gym on uh, Fort Detrick, and my, my buddy, who was an, a uh, former MP and then worked for DOD police, um, we were just working out. And, you know, then all of a sudden, it's like everyone's kind of running around everywhere. And I'm like, what's going on here? I'm just sitting there, you know, doing bench press. And he's like, we got to go. And so, you know, at that point, I guess um, there was concern that that other plane that went down in Pennsylvania, that it was headed to Fort Detrick because of what Fort Detrick has on it and everything. And so for the audience, tell them what right. Fort Detrick means. So Fort Detrick is, it's an army fort um, that has um, a lot of the um, satellites and stuff for um, the, the red phones and stuff. And then they also have uh, USAMRIT, which is the United States army, uh, it's like medical research. Uh, some, some, I don't remember the acronym, but it's where they had the infectious diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, so whether it's, you know, so it's a high value target yeah, for an enemy, yes, it is. enemy of the U S. So, um, there was a lot of concern that that was going to be one of the targets. And so everybody kind of stood up post. And so you have like, and for, and for the audience that I'm sure most of everybody remembers, but maybe the younger audience is you had the first plane that hit the tower, hit the second tower. One went down to Pennsylvania. One hit the Pentagon. There's chaos going on everywhere on 9-11. You didn't know what plane was going to hit what next, right? So that's what right. you're alluding to is like, right. hey, is there a fifth plane that's going to come and hit our location? Right. So you so were like right there in the middle of like And so I'm zone. just sitting yeah. there in the gym, and I'm, I'm a civilian, don't know, you know, anything really about the military. And, you know, also my buddy comes running up, and he's like, hey, we got to go. But at that point, you know, Humvees are blocking all the base exits. No one's going anywhere. And so I'm just sitting there in, in uh, the, uh, the, the, I guess, the react room for the uh, police department. And I'm just sitting there, you know, kind of don't know what's going on. I'm just like watching everybody running around. Um, so shortly after 9-11, um, after my, my brothers, my older brother had uh, graduated Baylor. And Speak, speaking of brothers, all right. So for the audience, let them know how many siblings you have. So I've got um, – Four brothers, three sisters. <laughs> and where are you in the lineage? I'm the third oldest. And uh, so I've got um, two older brothers, um, one of which went and got a degree in Arabic from Baylor. And that was pre-9-11. So 9-11 happens and he um, happened to have a degree in Arabic. So he went and he joined the Army as an Arabic linguist. And now he's a uh, signals intelligence officer. But uh, then my younger brother went and uh, joined the Army uh, with an, 
a eighteen X ray program. Um, and so for the was, audience, tell them what that is. So he was he was a he's a Green Beret, or he you know was a Green Beret, and so the eighteen X ray program was a pipeline that you know you sign up and with a guaranteed spot to go to selection. So it's not a guarantee that you're going to be a Green Beret, but it's it gives you a spot because there's a lot of competition for spots. And so talk talk to the audience what it means by having at least being able to get to show up to selection what that means. So when I guess with with the army, he would go through boot camp and then he would go to like AIT I think is what they call it and then they have jump school and then there's like a, a rip mm-hmm. um, and then recon induction platoon right, type right, thing. But yeah. It's a type that, similar that so, type yeah. of thing. And then from there they get a spot to go through selection in the pipeline. So like for for us, which MARSOC selection was very similar because it was kind of stood up by and um, manned by uh, in the very beginning, a lot of guys who were, you know, Green Berets in the special operations community. And so, you know, you get a chance to, to show up and say, you know, for the next three weeks or whatever, we're going to put you through the paces and this is what you do. And from for for me, you know, I saw my brother kind of starting that that you know pipeline. And I was like, well, I I can't let my brothers go join the army and me not do anything. So I went to the Marine Corps recruiter because if my brothers were army, I had to one up them. <laughs> so I went to the Marine Corps recruiter and I was like, hey, I want to join the Marines. They're like, that's great. You know, here's the whole process, and you know the whole process going yep. through um, MEPS and everything. And at that point. Infantry for me was the only thing I wanted to do, and so why like, is well, that? Well, one, I wanted to be in combat, I wanted to be close to combat. Plus, my my younger brother, he was, you know, going to be a Green Beret at that point, and so I was like, yeah, I just, yeah, I wanted to be, you know, right down the front lines, make making something not only of myself, but also that's where I thought I could be of the most help. So. I was like, I'm going to go infantry contract. And they're like, yeah, so right now we have a nine-month wait on that because you can go admin, you can go motor T. There was a couple other MOSs that I could go. That's one of them recruiters going, hey, I need to get these other billets filled, right? right. It's easy to find grunts, but it's harder to right. <laughs> And so the recruiter's looking at his board, and he's like, he's like, you're going to have to wait nine months. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll wait. And he's like... I think he was a little upset because he was trying to get his quotas. Yeah. But uh, so I sat there and waited in the debt program and, you know, just kind of did my thing and did the the PT. And I was I was bartending at the time in Maryland and Frederick, Maryland. So, you know, I, I waited and went and went and joined. And now being that you enlisted out of Maryland, does that mean did you go to East Coast or were you West Coast? I went East Coast. OK, so you so went to Paris Island though, because you were living yeah. over there. Yeah. So I was still a Texas resident. Um I was going to school in Maryland, and so it was just funny because now on my DD-214, it says I was recruited out of Maryland, and, you know, with the Hazelwood Act and stuff, I was I had to go through all the process, all that process to prove that I was a Texas resident. Right. You at just the, at happened the to be in Maryland at the right. time you signed right. up. Yeah. So so I sat and waited in the, in the delayed entry program, and finally in 2002, went into went to boot camp. And so after boot camp, then went to uh, SOI on the East Coast and then School of Infantry. Yeah, School yeah. of Infantry. And from there and when uh when I went to School of Infantry, you know, that's where you you know you got to choose which 
kind of specialty you want to do. And so I became an O351. I think Peterson was 51 as well. Yeah, uh, Dragon Gunners, right. right? Well, so at that time we had small and yeah. then we did demo, which yeah. I, from what I hear, they've done away with 51s, I believe. I think yeah. they kind of like split up the small to 52s. So you had the 11s, which were the regular infantry, right. uh, 31s, which that was my initial primary MOS, which was machine gunner. 41s were mortars. 51s were assault men, d- yeah. demo, yeah. stuff like that. 52s were the tow gunners, tow gunners right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's... And I'm sure they've got a lot more now, and they've mixed them around because, like, especially like O321, Recon is now a primary MOS, but back then it was secondary MOS, right? right? You had all these secondary it's MOSs. Like O317, I think, was a scout sniper. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's secondary, secondary MOS. MOS. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I did that, and then they. Uh, so I went over. I went to the Battalion Fifth Marines. So I was over over there. Where, where um, for the audience, tell them where that's at. That's in Camp Pendleton. Okay. So, and then. Went in 2006, I deployed with 3-5 to, to Iraq, and that's the deployment where I got hurt. So I was actually, Kyle Burton was there. Yeah. and uh, Sergeant Major Burton. Good, yep, Sergeant Major Burton. He was a sergeant at the time, and I was the assault section leader. Um, were you a corporal? No, I was a sergeant. You were a sergeant? Yeah, sergeant in, okay. uh, in 06. And so we actually were, I was attached out to uh, Third Platoon in India Company, and we were tasked with... Uh, with holding an OP right on the Euphrates River, because so tell the audience what OP is. Um, so it's an, it, pretty much an observation post, and we were kind of at this strategic position where we're like right on MSR Michigan, in near Habania, and it was at the time that there was a lot of stuff coming out of Ramadi. Um, Al Zarqawi had just been killed, and so there was a lot of you know people coming out of Ramadi. Uh, there was I think some Army infantry and some Marine infantry battalions that were squeezing. Um, Ramadi at that time. And so there was a lot of... squeeze and tell the audience what you mean by that. So we had several battalions on multiple fronts that were, you know, pushing to, you know, retake Ramadi. And there was a lot of insurgents. That was a big insurgent stronghold at the time. And so there was a lot of insurgents that were, you know, feeling the pressure. And so they were trying to escape and they were coming down MSR Michigan. So our battalion is... You know, we're tasked to to hold this uh, MSR, and so we get hit on the first day of us setting up this OP, and so we're taking you know taking fire at everything, and everybody stands to on the, on the rooftop, and you know we're returning fire, and uh, we've got RPGs hitting over our head, and um, I, th- I think every at that time, everyone kind of gets a, a low grade concussion. Well, then the next day there was a, um, they had had like uh, engineer platoons come out and set up the HESCO barriers and kind of. For the audience, tell me what a HESCO barrier is. So HESCO barrier, it was kind of a, like a, a big wire square barrier that has this uh, like felt cloth on the inside and they fill it with sand. So instead of having to fill a million sandbags, you've got these HESCO barriers that you can use dozers and fill those up fairly quickly. And so they had set those up overnight. Well, the next morning, we had actually been up all night doing demo missions, taking down uh, trees and setting up charges so that we can clear our fields of fire. And so we get back at like five so in the clear, morning. Clear fields of fire for the audience. I mean, you're you're opening it up that when the enemy comes running, you can at least accurately target them. Right. Them. So, our, yeah. you know, so yeah. our we have, you know, observation from the, the rooftops and we can see that, um, you know, whether the enemy's coming or whatnot. And we can also see, because there was a lot of 
time, it, um, you know, you'd have enemy crawling through the reeds or you'd have, um, you know, cars driving by and you, you can never tell if they're friendly or foe. So that morning, we got back about five in the morning, um, got my guys down to, down to sleep and about 7.30, all of a sudden we hear AK fire. And so everybody's, you know, jumping up, putting the gear on everything. And um, we're running in the hallway and all of a sudden, the the car that had been coming up to our OP um, detonated and suicide bomber suicide bomber and mm-hmm. so and they estimate they had all the one five five shells and the whole trunk of the car was full of explosives so it was a fairly large detonation so the blast went through the entire house and so we were actually trying to get geared up and run up and to the top of the uh, the roof and blast just knocked everyone back so at that point i had a grade two concussion and we just we once we kind of you know came to and got up on the rooftop um you know kyle burton and and the rest of the platoon were up there and we had the the cami netting was all blown down and so you're you know stuck up underneath that and so we're trying to get one of our guys um, down off the rooftop and you've got you know, was he dead or hurt? At that he time? was. He was. He was hurt. He just had a concussion as well. Yeah. But he, all of his gear was like stuck into the caminating. So we're trying to pull him. Oh and, man! Uh, yeah. And Kyle and I were both up there, and we're trying to pull the guy up there. And it's funny because we we were talking on Saturday, and he reminded me of the uh, the the guy that, and we think that the guy was kind of sometimes the people you know get forced to do things they don't want to and so the guy was actually handcuffed to the steering wheel and there's another guy that was in the passenger seat that was shooting an AK trying to suppress the the OP um, the guys that were up on up on the rooftop and uh, so when he detonated there was there was a hand with the steering wheel that went flying up onto the rooftop and <laughs> and one of the guys found the guy's heart and put it in an ammo can and wanted to take it back with them. <laughs> and, and the, the corpsman was like, no, you can't do that. He's like, no, this is like medically it's not safe. So they ended up taking that and throwing it away. But it was just weird because Kyle and I were looking at each other and we're like, steering wheel? What the hell is this? Yeah. But, you know, that's the way it goes. So, you know, we, we get through all that and a couple of days later they uh, – they have sent another platoon to relieve us, and they do this at night. And so we're actually uh, we load up in the seven, or the AAVs, and we're actually dropping off a, uh, a sniper platoon at another OP, which is right on the Army AO. So as we're driving up, we get hit again, and the AV that I was in ran over a triple stacked anti tank mine, blew the front of the. Uh, AAV off and I think Kyle was in I think he yeah Kyle was in in that vehicle as well and so I got another concussion so by that time it's three concussions in a week and a half period and so that pulls me out of the fight for pretty much the rest of deployment and then from there I started having my issues with you know TBI and and you know head issues so So. for the for the audience um you know, these, these traumatic brain injuries, these TBIs that, that Kegel's referring to is there's still, especially during that time, even now, but more so then, a lot of ambiguity around them of, of just 
how bad these these TBIs really are that weren't getting the credit that they should be getting, right? I mean, you take your brain and it gets popped around in your skull, right? It is going to cause a lot of problems, right? And uh, I mean, it affects like what are, like describe some of the effects of TBIs for the well, audience here. For for me and and granted at that time this is this was 2006, so you know there was a kind of a stig you had this TBI and all that stuff and PTSD was all stigmatized. Yeah. And so, you know, so you didn't want to tell anybody. You didn't want to tell anybody that mm-hmm. you had had, you know, TBI if, if you you got taken out of the fight. That was that was kind of like the end of your career. And so um for me, you know, I started having the headaches and you know some of the the memory issues and I worked through that, but you know, it's like I would start trying to self-medicate, which leads to a whole other host of issues. And when you start having, you know, headaches and memory issues, and then they start putting you on medications, and, you know, that inhibits your ability to do, you know, certain things and certain jobs. And so I kind of suppressed it as much as possible so that I could continue on my Marine Corps career. Um, And so from, from there... I went over to uh, Fast Company. I had to do a B billet. Tell, tell, tell the audience what Fast Company is. So Fast Company was, oh, it, it kind of a glorified infantry. So um, it's fleet anti-terrorism security teams, and um, they do a whole host of things. And I, I think it's kind of morphed now. It's I've been out for ten years, but uh, at that time we did um, anti-terrorism security. So we had you know. PRP commands that did strategic weapon uh, security, and then you had um, fast companies, which do it had a bunch of different missions. Whether it's RFDFs and you're providing security for um, submarines in port, or if you're doing MC security, or um, you're a reactionary force if things were to happen. So you're the on-call unit, right? Exactly. Yep. So went over there, did a B billet, and then did deployment to the Philippines. And we were doing BBSS missions. Talk about what BBSS missions BBS, are. It's visit board search and seizure. So it's, you know, kind of you've got a vessel that is, you know, what a suspect vessel, whether it's a, a ship, a large ship. Um, it could be a smaller um, vessel, and you have different levels of BBSS. And so we would, you know, we were out there in the South China Sea attached to, uh, we were with Jasotopi and uh, JTF-515. Um, this, this time was 2008. So we were actually out doing a training mission when I broke my back. And so not only, you know, have I been dealing with TBI issues now, but now I have, um, you know, a fracture of my L5. And at that point, we were so far out of, out in the sea that, you know, the helicopters only had like 500 mile range. So we couldn't get all the way back to where... I needed to be to, to get medical attention. So I stayed on the ship for several months. And at that point, the... Uh, with a broken back. Yeah, with a broken back. So do you remember the uh, the Princess of the Stars, the Filipino ferry that flipped over? Mm-hmm. So we were actually the closest ship on that to, to that when the incident happened. And so we stayed in the area and did um, search and rescue. And um, we were kind of pretty much doing box drills. And just staying in the in the immediate area until the uh, Reagan Stripe group could get there. Because they had a, a special ship. There was like a dry dock ship um, that would raise sunken ships and you could work on them or, you know, whatnot. And so 
this ship, we needed to stay in the area. And we had, we had some Navy divers that were on the ship. And so they, uh, they kind of went and did an assessment and found out that there was a, there was a tanker on that ferry that had fertilizer. And so you've got this sunken ship now that has fertilizer tank. So they, their original plan to use underwater welding torches no bueno. was no bueno. And so they had to wait until the Reagan's tribe group got there. For, so the, I, for the audience, FYI, fertilizer is a main contributor to explosives that are used. And all the nitrogen and everything else into it. Think of like uh, the the Oklahoma City bombing with Timothy McVeigh, right? That was used with canisters of, of fertilizer. So that's what the cable's right. talking about. So keep going. So at that point, you know, I'm dealing with my, my injuries and stuff. And so it, it was quite a while till we got back to Guam for them to be able to even do like MRIs or anything. And so I had this... And I guess at that point, they had, it, the, the my vertebrae had started recalcifying, and so I was doing better, but I still had pain, which was funny because when I went through um, selection for Marsoc, which was after, which was after. All right, just uh, for the audience, let's let's just break this down. You're over there in Iraq. You've gotten basically three TBIs being blown all over the place. Then you go to even a more specialized unit. You break your back. You don't even get to get to immediate medical attention. You finally get to Guam. And you're like, yeah, hey, man, now that my brain and my back is totally screwed, I think I'm going to go to special operations. <laughs> so, and at that point, my, my spine had recalcified. And so it was – it hurt, but it wasn't that bad. And then – so I went over to, to Marsoc, did selection, and – How long is there. selection in Marsoc? At that point, it was three weeks. Okay. So – so similar to what the Greenbridge is going through, so they're going there. Right. They're, they're assessing whether or not you're gonna you get to go to the right. you get you get to go to the school or not. Right. So yeah. it's 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 a you know selection period. And so for me, you know, no matter how much pain I was in, I was like, there's no way that I'm gonna you know not pass because for one, my brother had been through, and he was at that point he was several years in in with the Green Berets, and so I kind of had this this camaraderie with with him but also this competition and so made it through um selection and then went and uh checked in over to msos and started started the what's msos range special operations school so we started the the pipeline and we are doing some training and and then the uh, parts particularis of my l5 the facet joints completely sheared off Mm. And so at that point, they're like, nope, you're done. And so I started going up to the Naval Hospital in Norfolk, Virginia, and they uh, they said, yes, your, your L5 is completely broken and ruptured the disc above and below, and so we're going to have to do a fusion. So it takes about another year for that whole process to go through, and they finally did the surgery. And they fused my L4, L5, and S1. And during that whole time, as you know, like, you know, something happens to you in the, in, in the Marine Corps. If you're no good to the unit anymore, then they warehouse you somewhere. So I got sent over to Language Branch, Marine Special Operations School, and I was the senior enlisted advisor for the language school. And so um, I was there during my entire time while I was going through the med board and getting medically retired and 
you know, dealing with all my, my issues with still dealing with headaches, but also now I have, you know, all the, the medications that they're giving me for my back and for everything else. Um, cause I had 98% nerve damage down my leg and dealing with all the, uh, the issues from that. And so I finally got my retirement package done. And so I was medically retired in, in 2012. And at that point I moved back to Texas, which, you know, my wife, Bethany, um, she and I had known each other growing up and that I had also gone through a divorce at that time because of all the, you know, medications and everything that I was, I was on. And so Bethany and I met back up online. She was friends with my, uh, my sister, and she had actually posted on Facebook post my sister had, and I was like, "Hey, I remember you." And so we started talking. I moved back to Texas, and she happened to live in the same town, and so that's how we kind of rekindled that relationship. And so, for me, you know, I'm dealing with all these medical issues, and I moved back to Texas, go to UTA, and finish up my accounting degree, and. Um, start working for Clifton Larson Allen, which was SPF at that time. Uh, Rick Baumeister, you know him and that whole group. So I was working in accounting. But in, during that entire time, I was still dealing with all my medical issues. At that point, the VA and, and I, they don't do this anymore, but they would auto ship uh, medications. And so at one point I had, you know, almost 500 pills of hydrocodone sitting in my house because, you know, I've, I've got all this medication, but I'm not wanting to because when you're on so many different medications, you're like a walking zombie. I was highly functional still. I was doing, doing all my work, but I was walking zombie. And so it got to the point where I was looking in the mirror and I was like, you know, this is not who I want to be. I put on a lot of weight and, you know, which you wouldn't tell now, but yeah. So I, I said, you know what, I'm going to make a change. And at that point, I stopped taking my meds. I said, I'm going to get back into the gym. And I made that change. And, you know, that's where I'm, where I'm at now. So it was definitely, it wasn't an easy thing. It was, it was a, a struggle for me because I've, you know, you fight it on a daily basis. Because I, you know, have days where I wake up and there's a lot of pain here and there. Some days I'm like, do I really want to go to the gym? And some days I'm like, okay, let's let's get at it. But it's it's definitely it's been a struggle, but it's also been a a blessing for me because it kind of pushed me to where I am today. So and this is really important for the audience. And I know the audience already figured this out, but I want to recap this: is your discipline is one of the most incredible. I've ever met, right? And, you know, we, we've, you know, on Countdown Words Board, other Marines that come to this, or special operations communities, everything else, your discipline, I've always been just incredibly impressed by, right? So let's recap. You get hurt in combat in the infantry. Then you go over fast company, you get hurt, break your back. Then you still choose to go through the selection process to get into special operations until the body finally says no, right? And then even after all that, you're like, nope, this is what I'm going to go do. So your level of discipline is really, really I- incredible. And that's why often on this show, I, I, I tell people, look, the biggest liar in the room is the one in the mirror. And it was interesting when you, when, when you said that. It made me think of that because you were just like, this is not who I want to be. I've been lying to myself. This right. is not who I want to be. 
Because the only person that can that can allow you or prevent you from doing anything is also that person in the mirror. But you have to make that decision and be disciplined to go. And it's not easy, right? right. They're not easy to get up and go. You know. But let's dial this back a little bit to here it is. You're, you've done everything. You've been through TBIs, broken backs, and then now you finally are there at the show in the Marine Corps, because Marine Corps is very unforgiving. Listen, and, and we're not here to bag on the Marine Corps. We're not here to bag right. on the military, right? right? But the Marine Corps is a machine, and it is there to do a mission. And if you're not useful to that mission anymore, it's a decision that is at the snap of a finger. You're out, right? And, and, yeah. and, and it's probably a little callous the way you do it, but it is, but it is what it is, right? right? It's just like with a business. If yeah. you got to trim the fat. Yeah, if you if you're not profitable, it's right. time to go, right? Right. And uh, but I'm sure that that had to leave some feelings. It did, and for me, because my ultimate goal was to you know be a well, they call Marine Raiders now, yeah. was to be a Raider and to you know be very successful, have a 20 year career, which actually I think I'll be at 20 years this year. Mm-hmm. And so when I had to cut that short, it was it was kind of depressing. Um, so when I moved back to Texas and I was said, you know, Hey, now I got to do something else with my life. Um, it's funny because I had a friend of mine years ago, you know, he was big into business and he, he would always tell me, it's like accounting is the language of business. If you know accounting, you, you can be successful in business. And so that always stuck with me. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get an accounting degree. Cause I had started off international business back in, you know, 99 and I decided I didn't want to do that. So I went back and got an accounting degree. And it's funny how the second time around, you're way more focused. Um, you know, getting A's was easy then when back when I was first in college, especially when you're a teen and uh, you want to go party. So you've got to, you know, stay the course and focus. But this time around, it was, it was fairly simple. And, and so got my accounting degree, went and worked for um, SPF and then CLA and started doing nonprofit uh, accounting. And for me, it was just that drive, you know, I had to find something else to focus on. And it was always finding that next thing for me to focus and say, you know, I'm not gonna let my injuries from the past dictate my life. Because when, when you let something like that, like an injury, dictate your life and you can you can very easily get depressed you get suckered into you know taking all these meds and then you get or down that worse whole alcohol, hole, man. alcoholism yeah um, so it's for me that's why the gym was my my outlet and um, the thing that kind of helped me to get out of out of that and so um, you know I've worked in accounting for a few years and then it's funny because the current job that I have, I wouldn't have even taken it. And in fact, almost didn't take that opportunity. Um, Bethany, uh, my wife, who's, who's a hairstylist, she was cutting hair of one of her her, uh, her customers who happened to be a executive recruiter. And she was looking for a, uh, a um, position to fill. And the company was looking for a guy who had military service, had background in accounting, wanted um, to learn how to fly and also had um, history with agriculture. And so at that time I was actually the, we have the family trust has farms. And so I've been dealing with being the trustee of the trust. And so 
Bethany was like, that sounds like Andrew. And so she's like, have you, you know, found anybody for this position yet? And she's like, no, 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 we're still looking. And so Bethany told me about it. And she's like, why don't you give Andrew a call? And so I took the call and I was like, at first I was like, nah, I don't know, because I just gotten promoted at CLA and they were starting up a nonprofit outsourcing um, division where we would provide outsourcing services services to uh, clients, um, whether it's bookkeeping needs or, you know, helping them to, um, you know, grow their board or if they need help with um, writing um you know, proposals or whatnot. So I was on my way up in in uh, CLA, and so I was like, I don't know if I really want to take this opportunity. But then it's like, why not give it a shot? So I went and interviewed and with the, with the executive recruiter, and that went well. And then I interviewed with uh, – in fact, she called me the day after I interviewed, and she said, hey – and that was on, a, I think, a Thursday afternoon. She said, hey – uh, the owners of the company are coming in town Monday, and they want to interview Monday. Are you available? I said, sure. So I went and interviewed, and they hired me on the spot. And for me, I, you know, just by not taking that opportunity, I almost said no to the interview. And if I had said no to the interview, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm at today. Yeah. So. And so let's talk about that, This the the – which which really funny and and you and I joke around about this like with a lot of other guys is the easiest days of our life are when people were trying to kill us right someone trying to shoot at us is that it's even more scary to go I have the safety and security of CLA I've got right. benefits I'm on the promotion track and I'm gonna put all that to the side and go chase this thing that I don't know as much about, but there must have been something about it that was, you know, because it is, it's scary right. to leave the safety and security and stuff to go do something else. What was it about it that drew you to go, you know what, I'm willing to take the risk of the safety and security of what I have at CLA to go do this? Well, for me, it was it was kind of the the opportunity. And um, so what I, what I did, what I started out with with the company was – kind of the executive assistant for the president of the company. And so I would, you know, whatever he needed done, um, he was traveling a lot. And so whether it was, you know, doing stuff at the home office, um, doing the books, setting stuff up for uh, the CPAs during tax time, making sure all the compliance issues are handled, um, dealing with the, the day, day-to-day, um, do a lot of the scheduling for, for his travel and for books. So it was something new for me. And... You know, I said, well, you know, why not? And so I got into it, and I was there for probably about six months. And then the owner of the company unexpectedly passed away. Mm. And so after that happened, um, there was kind of a a void that needed to be filled because the the founder of the company, um, the grandfather, had – he was he was still alive, and so he had, you know, turned the company over to his son, and then the company reverted back to him, and so now he wanted me to um, to step up, and so I'd been at the company six months, still kind of learning everything, and so um, then he said, you know, we're going to promote you to vice president of the company, and I'm like, whoa, okay, and so 
once again, I had to, to step up. And I'm, I'm still learning through a fire hose, um, you know, everything getting thrown at you from, you know, tax issues to compliance issues to, you know, now dealing with um, the manufacturing plant and all of the, the real estate holdings that we have. Yeah, just for the audience right. sake, this is not just like a, a company one-stop shop. I mean, there's multiple right. businesses, multiple assets, right. multiple investments that are involved. So more like a family office kind of situation. It is. So situation. It's, you know, the home office is a holding uh, corporation that has a manufacturing plant, which is our main operating income. And then we have residential real estate in Florida, and then we have commercial real estate in Dallas and other places, and residential real estate overseas, and then ranching operations. And so there's, you know, I'm constantly- A lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. And so- And you've had six months to try to learn all this, and now they're like, hey, we're going to promote you. Right. (laughs) So, you know, at that point, I, you know, for me, it's just like, hey, I got to step up and and do it and learn. And so it's it's been a it's been a very interesting um, journey, but it's it's been good. And it's actually for me, it keeps me busy, um, so I don't think about you know back back issues. Or then you like that. then you ended so, up getting another promotion. I did. So at this point now, I am the managing member of the company. Um, myself and the the owner of the company, um, we we run it together, in which we're you know great team and. Um, our operating company, um, we've got a great team over there as well. In fact, you met uh, Terry yep. on uh, Terry Buckley. He's uh, he's the president of um, LGS Technologies, which is one of our subsidiaries. And um, so we've got a great team over there, and they, uh, you know, they they keep this this uh, operation running. Yeah. So. so let's run through some timelines here. So 2001, you go in the Marines. 2002. 2002. Yep. That's right. 2006 is when you get your TBIs. 2008 is when you break your back, right? Yep. Uh, what year did you go over to MARSOC? It was 2000. Well, I went over, went to selection and then went over there in 2009. 2009, you're over there in MARSOC when, you know, they're like, hey, we got to start doing these surgeries. And then you, you separated in? 12. In 2012, all right? So you get MedSEP, right? And then uh, you go and finish, you go, you go to UTA, you graduate. Uh, what year? December 2014. So 2014, uh, UTA, and then uh, you go to C. You go well. It's, SBF uh, and yeah, CLA. And CLA, and then in what year? Uh, um, so 2018. So, all right. So CLA, and then 2018. That's when you get the introduction to go over to this other place, right? Uh, this other family office. Uh, and then you start off as a role of, of an executive assistant. You elevate to vice president to current day being a managing member. And so so looking through this is here we are in 2022. And in a matter of 20 years, that's a hell of a timeline to do all that. That's a lot. That's a lot, especially in the last four years. And you and I were talking about this a couple, a couple of weeks ago up in Colorado. It's just like it, it's just you blink. Like, you know, like even your son, right? I mean, just like, what? He's, he's, what? How old? How old? He's, he's, he'll yeah. turn seven in uh, yeah. 10 days. Yeah. And your daughter's getting ready to turn. 15. She's getting, yeah. She's yep. getting ready to be driving age. It is just, it is just, it's just crazy how fast this time goes by. But let me, let me ask you this because I think it would, it, I really want the audience, listen, two, that from 2002, did 10 years in the Marines. 
call it four injuries because really it's three TBIs and then the back injury. Going to college, going, being on the fast track at a company, making a drastic change to come over to a family office, elevating quickly through that. There's, this is not normal. Normal people don't do that, right? And, 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 and what, by what I mean by that is I think most people, I consider them normal because status quo, not interrupting the waves, let me do my 40 hours a week, let me, you know, be at home on the weekends, let me have the white picket fence and all this other stuff, playing the safe play. To go through that kind of timeline in 20 years, what is it? inside you internally because that's a lot of gas pedal for for me um one there was always this you know coming up with a family of eight kids um there was always this competition and <laughs> we, we always joked that my, my oldest brother who was a he went to princeton when he was 17 um and got a degree in music but then he went to go teach and then he went to seminary and then when he got a master's in advanced mathematics. And so there was all this competition between my, my brothers and I. And, uh, but there's also this, you know, kind of drive in me to not only make something of myself, but I always want to, you know, be as successful as possible. And now my drive is, you know, hey, you know, I want to not only do the best that I can, but also for my family's sake. Now it's now it's about the family. And so I think for me with, you know, my injuries, those aren't what make me. Um, you know, my injuries are a part of me, but that's not who I am. You know, the Marine Corps was a part of me, It's but it's not who I am. So I'm, I'm always looking for this, n- the newest way that I can improve myself. Yeah. And, you know, so it's it's still an evolving um, process and I'm still on the journey. But uh, I think that's what the show is really about, though, is folks like us. Enough's never enough. Right. Right. We keep pushing that goalpost back. Right. We like to be tested. Right. I mean, there, there's a reason guys like you and I have done the things that we've done to get to where we're at is because there's just that internal burning of like, how do I push this thing next? What's the what's the next thing? Uh, when when failure is constantly on your doorsteps, right, and, and you're gonna fail, right. That's what I try to tell people. Like, look, you know, like even my daughter, right? <laughs> I go, look, I'm the only one not up her ass right now, right. So she's 21. She's trying to figure out. She's taking a year off from school. You know, she got herself a job. She's self reliant. You know, she's paying her own bills, whatnot. And, uh, and and she like even when she was up for Christmas, she was like, you know, Dad, thanks thanks for not being up my ass like everybody else. And I just said, look, I said, well, first off, I dropped out of high school at 17 and went in the Marines, so I ain't got a lot of room to talk. But I said, too, what I learned is when I went in the Marines, I thought I was going to be in the Marines, you know, for 20, 30 years. Right. And then after six years, I was like, no, nah, it's, it's time to go to the next thing. And then when I joined the PD, I thought I was going to be at the PD for the next 20, 30 years. And then I was like, no. And actually on the night that I graduated TCU, ready to take some other job offers within the next couple of months, Dwayne Frito was killed on the side of the highway by drunk driver. So I felt like I had to stay. And then fast forward, went and uh, you got my MBA from TCU, had, a, had an offer to go to this other company and 
left it all and lost it all 24 months later. Lost it all. Like, you remember, right? right. Lost it all. Like, all had to sell my house, hold it back for $4 million, doing the whole nine yards. And then then still bounce back from that. And I said, so I, t- so I told my daughter, is like, look, you don't have to know what your future is going to be because if you would have told me 30 years ago, right? Like, I, I went to the Marines and listened to Marines in 1991, and I mean, we're talking now. We're we're coming up on thirty one years later. I would have never thought my my past going to be this, but I always knew inside of me that there's got to be something. I got I got to go find it, right? I got to go do it. But there's no there, having a good idea and no execution isn't going to do it. But you're going to fail. You're going to have problems. Sometimes you're in control of making decisions that alter that, and sometimes other people are in control of making those decisions that have caused these barriers that get in your way. But you got to make that choice to get over them. Well, it's what you do yeah. after you fail. Yeah. And you decide to pick yourself up. So like for me, I, you know, after my injuries, I could have wallowed in pity and said, you know, woe is me. And then just kind of, you know, lived off the government. And we say, we see that a lot with vets. We do. And unfortunately, um, and, you know, I always try to tell, you know, fellow vets that have been injured or wounded and, you know, hey, it's not the end of the day. Um, You had this injury and it's not, you know, it's not everything that, your, the injury is not you. It's a part of you, and you deal with it, and different people deal with it in different ways, but you need to take that experience and learn from it and grow from it. And thankfully, I was able to do that, and I had, had a lot of support along the way. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of times you see you know, vets that they, they allow it to kind of overcome them. Well, um, and you know, one of the things, too, that I think uh, – one of the reasons you and I have been just good close friends, and I mean, you you've always inspired me. You know, I've, I mean, now this is the first time I've ever telling you that because I got an audience and whatnot. But I would never tell you one on one because if I start being nice to you, you're going to wonder <laughs> what did I do or what am I getting ready to do, right? What, but what you, check am I got to cut? You know, what right. check do I got to cut? It, but but it, it was you know just your story and everything else, and you and I share a lot of similar paths in the Marine Corps. That you know just that that drive and desire to just dig in and go. And one of the things you and I have talked about for many years is just that purpose, right? And that purpose doesn't have to stay the same purpose. That purpose evolves and changes. Like I said, you know, from going to the Marine Corps, PD, that other company, you know, and then how we're at. But what's really funny, too, is one of the things that I think makes guys like you and I or folks like you and I successful at what we do is we become masters at becoming more efficient at stuff. But what folks don't see is they see the fruits our trees are bearing, but they don't see all the manicuring, planting, and watering and fertilizing of that tree to get it where it's at. So, for example, so when Cagle came up to see me, flew in on a Sunday, and then was supposed to fly out Tuesday. We'll get to that in a second. But here it was. It, we were on Sunday. I was showing them around Colorado. Both he and I are on and off the phone. It's Sunday. We're still working. Yeah. On, t- on, on Monday. Right. You know, getting out there to go ice fishing. We were doing it all the way up leading up to it. And we went and then I think we ended that night about 7 p.m. Because we were pretty there might have been some alcohol. There there was some alcohol that got drank during that. Uh, And then here it was on uh, Tuesday. We're we're, in fact, I remember we're driving to the airport. You know, you're on the phone. You're 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 dealing with problems all over the world. You matter of fact, if I remember, you had a call with someone about something in Switzerland, something in Florida, something everywhere. I mean, you were all over. I mean, you got all these things that you're managing, all these issues. So we're still working. So we get there, and just by 
just by uh, uh, because we were driving Durango, and it's kind of the bigger city, but it's about an hour away from 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 where our house is in Colorado. We drive you off at the airport, and Laura and I were like, you know what? Let's go catch a movie. Let's go get a movie, and then go get dinner. And thank goodness we did, because when uh, we were in the movie, I saw my phone light up. It was a message from you. You're like, yeah, there's something wrong with the plane. They're going to get delayed. And then uh, we were leaving there, and I was like, hey, you good? And you're like, yeah, I think they're going to try to get it out of here later. And I said, well, we're going to go eat dinner. Let me know. And then you were like, yeah, they're going to try to get another – they can't get another flight for me until the next afternoon. And I said, hey, we're leaving dinner. We're on our way to get you. So then we drove back. And then the next day, right, so you got to be flexible, right, because sometimes things are outside of your control. So you're still being flexible, getting all that done. And then uh, next day we get to – uh, the, the day after that, we get you to the airport, get, get you set off, right? But people don't understand is they were like, oh, wow, you know, you're in this position. You can go Colorado, have a good time. But they don't realize it's like, yeah, we are. We're doing up, up there, right. doing some things, have fun. But let me tell you what's going on before and after. You're constantly working. There's a lot of prep yeah. work. And when when you're at that level, you know, not only are you wrangling cats, so to speak, but you're yeah. constantly putting out fires. You know, yeah. you're always the, the consummate fireman. Um, you know, I'm always dealing with issues and you know you're always dealing with issues and you know the current <laughs> real real estate issues you you have right now and it's yeah. you know it's but i think because of the environments we've been put in before and you know we've taken our experiences in the marine corps we're able to to handle a lot of these issues whereas certain people would be freaking out on certain things and we're kind of like we roll with it um and i think that that's what helps us and i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the people that we have associated with in business and everything else are, you know, former militaries of the Marine, um, former members of the military of the Marine Corps um, in general. Yeah. And, and that, that, I think that's an important point I'd like you to talk about is the importance of your circle. Right. Right. Because I think that's what happens with some of these bets that do get hurt is they're surrounded by the woe is me guys or right. folks, right. right? Guys or girls. Oh, I'm hurt. I can't go do anything. And it becomes that death spiral, right? And I, I think for me, um, getting on the board of the Cowtown, that was one of the bigger drivers for me to, to get on the board of Cowtown is that camaraderie with the other the other Marines. And, you know, all of those guys are very successful in whatever business they're in. And so seeing that and knowing that, hey, I can – I can do better. Um, and if you surround yourself with, you know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but if you have, you know, a great team and you surround yourself with very successful people, then they are going to elevate you up to that level. Um, you know, if you surround yourself with people who are, you know, all self-deprecating and, you know, woe is me, then that's what you're going to end up, you know, that's the mentality you're going to end up having. So I knew that I had to surround myself with, you know, you know, it's very successful players. And so, um, you know, I was blessed to have met you and, and um, you know, the, the well, guys. it's a blessing and a curse to yeah. meet me. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we take separate elevators, though. So. Well, and, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, and this is what I try to explain to folks. It's like, look, you don't have to dump your friends. You just got to change your circles, right. right? So there's a lot of folks that I, you know, I, 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 they're still good friends. Yeah. They're people I care about, but they're not my circle, right? Right? Is 
I want to surround myself. You don't with, ask them for advice. You don't. You yeah. Know, no. 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 In them when I see them, things. it is truly let's go get a beer and catch up. Right. But I want to surround myself and have surrounded myself with peers and people that I look up to and mentors and, and friends like you that I'm like, because that keeps the driver going. Because look, what the audience says, you know, here's the thing for the audience. Just because you and I have done some pretty amazing things doesn't mean that we don't have our days that we wake up and go, man, I don't want to do this today. Or I could skip today. Or I just, you know, I just don't want to do, I don't want to do the hard work today. But the difference is, is even though we want to have those moments, we put them aside and dig in and go, right? right. And and it helps being surrounded with other folks that are the same way because we help keep each other accountable. But it's also, um, you know, very humanizing, I think, for us because it's like, man, so I'm not the only one that just wakes up on days like, I just want to, I just don't want to do anything today. Right. And then you're like, nah, Marine, step up, man. Hey, look, we all have those days. Let's go. So we help each other lift up, right? right? We help each other hold each other accountable. And then it comes down to establishing, you know, those teams and trusting in those teams, that teamwork and camaraderie we learned in the Marines that we convey forward that helps us get there. But we do have those days, right? There's days where we're tired. Like currently, my phone, as you've seen, is just sitting here blowing up because I made my way back from Colorado Thursday, then, uh, but we split the drive up now because just trying to make a 13-hour drive is just way too much. And normally, I fly back and forth, but we, you know we knew we were going to be back for a couple months, so we, we needed to get the vehicles back. And then, so we split it up, stopped in Amarillo, but now we're driving through inclement weather. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, we were driving out of a blizzard, and then they had the big ice storm here. Like, this is no kidding. Like, we're when we were leaving Amarillo Friday to come here, we were we were keeping like probably about a hundred yard distance behind anybody else. Cause we were seeing ice come off their vehicles and hit other vehicles, windshields, and they were blasting off the side of the road from accidents and stuff. It was crazy. So it took us a lot longer to get here. So I lost time. And then of course we're back in town. So, you know, Saturday is booked with stuff. Uh, you know, we got Cowtown warriors and then yesterday. So here it is Monday. I've lost four days. All right. And, and for, for the normal person out there, it just has a regular 40-hour week. They just take a couple of days off. That's fine. They just get right back to it. But folks like us, man, we got to make up for that last four days. So there's all these things on fire. I got all these accounts. I got to call for all these different investors, stuff like that. But it's just, hey, it's a part of what we do. We still get up early. We still make the grind. We still go do it because we have that drive and desire to get to where we want to be next. Sure. Well, you know, so you, you got to make the, the habits. Once you make it a habit, it's it's a lot easier to keep up with. Whether it's you know make get up and making your bed, and you know get up and go to the gym. Um, for me, you know I get up and try to go to the gym every single morning. And sometimes my wife's like, "You going to the gym again?" I'm like, "Well, I have to," you know, because for me that's my outlet, but it also keeps my body my body strong. And you know, especially with my back fusion, I you know need to keep my my back. And I think. You know, I, we, we're both swimmers. Yeah. We used to be swimmers. Um, we still, we still pretty good job in the water. A little bit. Um, <laughs> but that, that actually was, I think, one of the biggest things that helped me through my injury was, you know, swimming. And yeah. I just kept up with it on a daily basis. So, you know, it's, you make habits of things, um, good, good or bad, um, and you just keep up with it. And so that's, 
for me, it's like, you know, I do these things on a daily basis. Um, like you gave, uh, gave me the Oak Journal. Yeah. Uh, recently. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's like, you know, something you, you kind of make a habit and then it just becomes easy. Yeah. Um, to keep up with that. And so, um, you know, do that with every aspect of your life, um, whether it's, you know, making saving habits. Um, and that's one of the things we're tre- teaching um, the kids right now. And Harry just, he's all about his savings account that we set up for him. And so, but it's like setting up these habits. And so I have a, a good buddy of mine that is, um, he's a wounded vet as well. And, and he's kind of had his ups and downs. And I was like, you know, just what are your daily habits? He's like, well, well, this, that. And I was like, do you make that something you do every day and make a conscious effort to do that every day? And he's like, well, no. I said, like, well, maybe try that. And so it's, you know, it's a work in progress, but, you know, that's what you do. But I think if you do the little things and make those daily habits, then the big things are not going to be as hard because you have the building blocks. Let's talk about the importance of that, these habits, these rituals, right? So that Oak Journal, that thing was huge for me is because, uh, as a matter of fact, in last week's meeting, uh, we do these Monday Zooms with the team on the fun stuff, right? And I always have a weekly saying, right? And uh, and, and, and one of the things I, I learned is... If something happens, it's within your control. Take control over it. Make whatever adjustments you need to make. Make it happen. But sometimes things happen that are outside of your control, but you have the ability to create workarounds or influence it. Don't have control over it, but workarounds or influence it. And then there's times where things are out of your control. You can't have a workaround. You can't have an influence or anything. It's what I call being a hamster on the wheel, right? You're just going to spend a lot of time and energy getting tired, going nowhere real quick. You have to identify truly what those are and just say, hey, either outsource it or get rid of it, right? Because you're just going to waste a lot of time. And so for me, it is being, I'm really not a structure. You're more of a rigid, structured person than I am. Right. And I'm not, but I need to have that structure. And that's why Oak Journal is really, really important for me is because you know, getting up at four o'clock in the morning. I, you know, people go, "Oh, you do that because you're in the military." I'm like, "No, man. There's nobody who hates getting up at four o'clock in the morning." Matter of fact, when I'm back in Texas and I'm shifting from Colorado time zone, I gain an hour. Sure. Right? Because it, you know, here I, I I get up at what is Colorado four o'clock in the morning. Right? Is you know five you know five a.m. here. Right? So I feel like I've gained an hour. Right? Uh, but when I go back to Colorado and I need to set it getting up at four, well, 4 o'clock in the morning here, it's 3 o'clock in the morning back in Colorado. So I got to make those shifts. But it's important to be disciplined and stick to that because I do my 10, 10, 10 in the mornings, right? Like the Oak Journal talks about, is I do 10 minutes of just calm motivation. I use an app called Calm App. Uh, uh, we'll post it on here. Dude, it's just 10 minutes of just blocking everything out. That's really one of the hardest things I've ever done. Yeah. It's just sit there completely quiet, blocking everything out. And I still haven't done a full 10 minutes yet. I mean, I do the 10 minutes, go through the motions, but I haven't been able to sit there for 10 minutes and go, wow, I completely blocked out the world. Then I do 10 minutes of reading, right? And I've got some of these books that I've been working on. I go through them a second and third time, making notes. What can I do to become better later? And then 10 minutes of journaling in the Oak Journal, by, you know, and it starts off, what are the three things you're grateful for today? What are the three most important tasks you got to get done today? What is today's vision? And then it'll ask you a question, you prompt, and you just kind of write that out. 
Yeah, so the importance of these rituals are very important, and it is hard. 30-minute ritual in the morning seemed like an eternity in the beginning, and now it's just a matter of minutes, and it just helps me set my day and my focus, right? And that's, I mean, I, I think that's important for people that are going to be successful to have these habits and rituals, right? Definitely. And, you know, whether it's like, you know, hey, I, and I think you do this, um, you have a specific time of the day or time of the week where you answer all your emails. Because if you're constantly chasing every single email and chasing all that, then you get bogged down and the bigger things are, you're not able to, you know, accomplish those as efficiently because you're constantly bogging yourself down with the small things. So you're 1 million percent right on that. I check emails three times a day. So after I do my morning ritual, I go right in to set my alarms on my phones, on my phone for whatever meetings I have. So if I have a call at 10, I got an alarm at 9.55, you got a call in five. If I got a meeting, at 11, I got an alarm at 10.30, says leave for that meeting, so forth. So that way I have that set in there. I've got, there's no reason for me to miss anything. And then I go in and I look at emails, right? right? And I clear out because, matter of fact, I am subscribed to anything that is not presently relevant to personal or business, right? right? Because you, 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 it does. And I found that starting to unsubscribe to everything. I have been doing the same thing. After about two, three weeks, your email box clutter gets down, Right. And then, uh, so I look, what do I need? Anything else? The second time I look at email is in the evening. So starting at around 6, 6.30 is when I start winding down. And that's how I start to end cap my day is going, okay, let me look through emails. Is there anything that I've missed? And then I start my evening routine. So I have a morning routine, but I also have an evening routine as well. And we won't make sausage all the stuff I do in the mornings and the evenings. So the only third time I look at emails is someone sends me a message and says, did you see the email I sent just right, now? Right. And that's and we'll, the closest alligator yeah, to the boat. Closest alligator to the boat. One of my favorite sayings of all times. But that's what's really important because you're not, you could be distracted and never get anything done by looking at email all day long and you're like that hamster on a wheel. Right. Spend a lot of time and energy going nowhere real fast, right? right? And so having those rituals and those things are very, very important, right? And especially with you and your travel schedule. Yeah. And that's that's one of the biggest things that I've had to learn in this short period of time is how to not only how to manage my time, but how to decipher what are the most important things that I need to take care of right now. Um, because when you do start getting bogged down with all little things, Sometimes you miss the big things, and that can have huge implications, especially in business. Um, you know, if you miss an email that has a deadline, and you know there's a contract that's on the line because you know you miss something or it's not signed or it's not filled out in a timely manner, then you know financial implications are huge. So that's one thing I've had to, to train myself and and uh, you know whether it's the little habits um, with your emails or responding to calls um, or making sure that, um, you know, you're following through with, with everything. Um, you know, that's, that's huge. Yeah. And it's little things that add up to big things. Well, and also managing who doesn't have access right. to you, who does have access and when and how much access they have. Yes. And you, you got a lot of folks out there like, well, that sounds really pretentious. No, there's no way that you, you got, you know, folks like us pull off what we pull off if we allow everybody to have access to us all the time. So we have to control our time. We have to manage our time. We have to manage all these things, especially with you, because you're on it. You're on a plane. How many times a month? Um, d depends on what's going on. So like right now we have 
we have uh, several projects going on in Florida. And so, like last year, I took 17 trips down down to Florida, which, you know, some people are like, oh, yeah, lucky you. I'm like, yeah, well, and not so much because yeah. you're- Deal with Miami Airport, then tell me. Yes, yeah. <laughs> dealing with those issues. And so, you know, whether it's flying there or, or driving up to the ranch to, to handle issues there or, you know, going out right now, we're, you know, looking to expand. And so, you know, fly out to Colorado or flying to other areas, looking at properties or, you know, whatnot. And so it's- it's a lot of travel time, yeah. and uh, which takes its toll. You yeah. know, not only on you having to deal with airports and everything, but also, you know, family. You know, everyone's you know vying for your time. And like you were talking about, like, you know, sometimes you have to prioritize. And granted, you you make time for, you know, your family, of course, um, but you also have you know business um, things that you have to make time for. But then, you know, you still want to kind of cultivate your your friendships and relationships as well so you have you know prioritizing your time and saying hey you know i've got like a three-hour window let's go go to lunch uh, let's get this done but you know you schedule that and you put that into your in your schedule um and it it makes it easier for you once you do that and you make it a habit and you can say all right well you know and it sometimes it's it sounds pretentious to say oh you know talk to my assistant or get on my schedule, but when they don't see everything else that you've got going on, yeah, then it, you know, it's kind of like, well, so I used to, I, I used to feel guilty, uh, when I was like, you know, man, I, I, I feel like I haven't talked to Cagle, seen Cagle in a long time. And now that's evolved to is when we do connect, we get to see each other, jump on the phone. It's like, there has been no missed time right. because we both understand Right, like no, hey, I get it. Your right? time is valuable, and yeah. I can appreciate that. Yeah, and, and and it's like you're in the same shoes, right? So it's almost like you, you, you that circles we were talking about. You have to be in circles with people that are in the same shoes of going, no, I, I completely, I completely get it. But when we do get something, we put it on a calendar, and you respect the calendar, right? right? And then and then that's literally how I, I have to run my life where. It does sound pretentious whenever I have an old friend that's not in one of the, you know, professional circles here that says, you want to go get a beer? And I'm like, well, what does 60 days look like for you? And it's not because I don't want to. It's because literally that's my lead time on everything that's full. Like I was looking at my, you know, you and I have been talking about these air passes, right? Just to be able to give me more convenience of like, hey, I need to cancel this ticket on my way to the airport because something else came up. Or I need need to be at the airport in two hours. I can get it and I won't make sausage off with the air passes today. But um, like we were talking because I was sitting there looking at my travel for for just this month. Like I was like, oh, yeah, man, I got to fly out this Thursday. I'll fly back in a couple days later. Then the following week, I got to fly. I got to be down to Florida. Then I come back. You know, it's just all these things that you're like, man, I got to make sure that that calendar's there because even if I got to go fly somewhere for three, four days, when I come back, I'm trying to still manage as many things back here as possible, but then I got to come back and still play catch up because you know that's when everything's going to go wrong is the second you get on that plane, right? And you got to deal with that. So let's go back to 20-year-old self. Andrew Cagle, 20-year-old self, would would actually listen to present-day Andrew Cagle on one thing. What's that one thing you'd go back and tell 20-year-old self? For me, I'd say it'd be, you know, always follow through, Um, you know, whether it's to follow through with um, something small, um, you know, telling your your child that you're going to go do something that weekend, Um, or, you know, following through with, um, you know, say I I promised Jeremy Spann that, you know, I would 
whether it's investing with you or, um, you know, hey, we're going to go out for drinks and, you know, just whatever you're doing, um, if you tell someone you're going to do something, then you follow through with that. Um, there have been times in my life that I, you know, haven't followed through and I've regretted it um, in the end. Um, you know, certain things that um, I've done and I said, you know what, if I had followed through, my life would be different. Um, you know, little habits too. So if I had started a savings account when I was a young kid, I'd be in a different place right now. Um, you know, and, and those those are things that now I'm teaching my kids to do is, you know, always follow through with, with everything and be deliberate with all your decision making. Um, if you just make rash decisions and don't follow through um, with, you know, what you say you're going to do, then not only are you letting people down, but then you're, you're letting yourself down. Um, you know, there's been times in my life, one, one thing that I didn't follow through with, and I kind of wish I had, but now I can't, um, was um, becoming a pilot and, and, and flying. And so, unfortunately, now with my, my back injury and everything, I'm not able to follow through um, with becoming a pilot. But had I done that um, when I was younger, then it would have, you know, been a different path for me. So, you know, the beauty, the beauty of asking that question at the end of the show is even after a year and a half, I get different answers every time. That's how much candor is in. And, and I think one of the things that, uh, that we do as parents is that one thing that we wish we would have done more of if we, at 20, we can instill that in our kids. And it's what you're doing now, right? right. You're instilling in them to go, hey, do your follow through. Uh, because uh, if you break promises to the person in the mirror, it makes it really easy to break promises to everybody else, right? Right. right. And so you got to you got to you got to follow through with even your promises to yourself, right? Things that you say you're going to do for yourself. Uh, you know, I mean, scariest question I was ever asked in my entire life was by my executive coach Tony Ford. Said, uh, "Man, what um, what do you do for personal enjoyment? Well, I like to go shoot. I like to travel. I like to go hiking. No, no, no. What do you do for you? Right. And I didn't have an answer." Still in search of that answer, but at least now I'm putting some time. I've promised I'm going to try to find out what is that person. Yeah, sure, I like shooting, hiking, and doing all this stuff, but what do I really do for personal enjoyment? Because let's face it, 50's knocking on the door and right around the corner, and, and I really don't want to work all, all my life. So you're right. That's great sound advice. It's just that follow through, right, to do that. So normally at this stage of the game, we'd ask, you know, hey, how do people get in touch with you? But you and I discussed this before. Right. Your time is very, very protected for very, very good reasons. You've got a lot of moving parts. So if somebody, for some reason, would like to reach out to to Kegel here, just reach out to me. Let me find out what you want to get in touch with him for. Let me run it through with him. And if he agrees, then we'll get, we'll get you connected. And uh, But, uh, man, I, I appreciate you coming here. Well, and Thanks then, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And as usual, if you're driving, you didn't have time to – uh, uh, learn more, hear more on this uh, episode. You can always go and find more information at myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on Andrew Cagle, amazing story, inspirational individual with lots of other episodes on there that are great. And of course, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, hit that find a trusted professional. We'll get you, if it's not here in Fort Worth, we'll get you connected with a, a professional somewhere, wherever you're looking, no matter where it is on the planet. Andrew, thanks for coming in, brother. Sir.